was reminded of the words of an old preacher as the choir was singing this morning. The preacher got up and he said, I've got good news and bad news for you today. Uh, the good news is God is here. Uh, the bad news is God is here. And, and, and it, it's, it's humorous on the one level, but on another level it's not. Because the reality of the situation in a room like this is that the reality that God is here is great news for some of us. We will find great deliverance and encouragement and a lifting of our burdens as the choir sing about, as we all sing about. We, we will find hope and peace and comfort in the, in the presence of God. For others gathered in this room, to be in the presence of God is a rightly terrifying thing. We feel completely uncomfortable, uh, completely undone. Good news is that uncomfortable conviction and brokenness can be relieved by God himself. He brings grace and peace into the lives of those who are hurting, who will seek him, right? Good news and bad news. God is here. What is it for you today? Do you have your Bibles this morning? Good. Ephesians chapter 5 is where you need to go. Ephesians chapter 5. Last week we saw some very specific applications about what it looks like to, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we were called. Paul gave some particular behaviors and attitudes that are of the old self and need to be put away. Remember he used that language? And then he gave some very specific actions and attitudes that are of the new self and need to be put on. He said it's part of what it looks like to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we were called. Part of it is putting away the old life and putting on the new life. And he gave these very specific applications in the text last week. I told you that the text last week should undo us. It should show us our great need for grace. We are not what we should be. No matter how far along in this walk with Christ we are, we are not what we should be. And this shows us our need for grace. And we are thankful for grace. Amen? Remember the joke last week, we're also thankful for Greece. Typo in my notes. On my way home from church last week, after we joked about Greece, I get behind Brad Vineyard and his family, and guess where they go for lunch? Long John Silver's. No more Greece than that in Harrisburg. We are always in need of grace, and we are always thankful for grace. Second thing this text should have done last week is show us and instruct us as to how we should live. We need to understand that relying on grace does not mean living without a care for God's standards. We'll see that again in the text this week. And then finally, we talked about what it would, what it would look like for a church to do what Paul says we should do. What it would look like to be a part of a family where we are consistently laying aside the old and putting on the new. More and more every day. More and more looking like the picture that Paul paints here. I want us to be that church. I want us to be that church that is looking more and more like, like what God intends us to look all the time. But that doesn't happen with mere desire. It doesn't happen merely from leadership. It happens as we all seek the Lord and walk with him more closely every day, right? This week in the text, we're going to continue the thought, same theme. Again, you're going to see Paul lead out with a very broad, general application and exhortation and then drive it to very specifics. There is some gold in the text today. I mean, just some real gold nuggets that are, that are just full of gospel truth and practical application, dynamite text today. So look at it in Ephesians chapter 5. We'll get through verse 7. We'll look quickly at verse 7, but that's really the beginning of next week. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. 
but immorality and any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which, is, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Let's pray. God, help us today as we study your word to understand with our minds. We need you to speak so that we can understand clearly. We need revelation so that we understand these things rightly. But we don't just want to understand them with our minds rightly. We want to understand with our hearts. We want to grasp with our hearts. And we want to respond with our lives. We don't, we don't want to walk out of this room today with more knowledge, more scholarship, more intellect. We want to walk out of here walking closer with you. Walking in a manner worthy of the calling with which we've been called. For your people, God, I pray that you would move us. Move us along. And God, for those who are in this room today who are not your people, will you bring them to yourself? Show them the reality of their great need. Show them the reality of your great love for them and your great sacrifice for them that you gave yourself up for them. Give them repentance and faith. Show them grace and mercy. Raise them from the dead by your power and for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. All right, so look at verse 1. Verse 1 starts with a very important word. We try to draw attention to this all the time. When a verse starts with the word therefore, it means it's connected with what's around it, specifically with what comes before it. And it is very easy to argue that that therefore is connected to the couple of verses just previous. But I believe that you can see all of Ephesians connected. I think the therefore in chapter 5 verse 1 stretches all the way back to chapter 1 verse 1. And he is as he is building a very concise, very logical, very theological argument that is leading to these calls to practice, calls to action. Paul is not just grabbing random things out of the air and shooting them at the church. He is being very directed and building a very concise argument. It seems like what he is doing here in verses 1 and 2 is he's zooming out, at least for a moment, from what he's been talking about. Because when we, when we left off last week, we were in very specific behaviors, very specific attitudes, and then he seems to zoom way out. And he drops all of the negatives and all of the positives and replaces them with this one giant positive. And it might be the most outrageous exhortation in all of the New Testament. One commentator identifies it as that. He says, be imitators of God. That's big stuff, right? He says, be imitators of God. That word imitator comes from a Greek word where we get our English word to mimic. What does it mean to mimic something? To be like it. Exactly right. To sound like it, to look like it, to talk like it, to walk like it, to be like it in every way. And that's what he calls us to do. He says, you are called to be imitators of God. And this is huge. It is certainly a tall order. And I will be honest with you, it is impossible in some respects. It is impossible in some respects for us to be called to imitate God. Because there are certain attributes of God that we just can't imitate, right? Any of you think we can imitate God's omniscience, that God knows everything? Teenagers? You in, in for this one? 
No, we can't, we can't know everything, but we can imitate him in knowledge and understanding on a certain level, right? Do you think we can imitate God when it comes to his omnipresence, that he is everywhere all the time? Certainly not. We can't imitate him when it comes to those things. You're going to look in adult small group Bible study next week at a certain attributes of God, which we would call incommunicable attributes, things that we cannot imitate, things that do not communicate to us. But there are certain attributes of God that we very much are called to imitate, that we very much can imitate, right? Like mercy and compassion. And what Paul is going to focus on here is love. He's going to say, overarching, that's one of the ways we can mimic, we can imitate God, is in the area of love. And we'll see how that thought develops in a little while. So Paul says, therefore, be imitators of God. And then he says this, as beloved children. And I think this is a big key part to this whole idea, the whole general call to imitate God, is that we are not called to imitate or mimic him as ones who are distant and detached from him. We mimic him as his beloved children. And that may be the easiest way to understand this, is that when you were a kid, who did you want to be like? When you were a little kid, who did you want to be like? You want to be like mom and dad, right? You want to walk like them and talk like them. I'm looking in this front row at, at, at Matt and Sam. They got on the same shirt today. They're like little twins here. And I don't know if that was on purpose, but I know when I watch Sam... I see a lot of my brother, uh, and when I watch my brother, I see a lot of my father, because there is a desire to mimic those that we love so much, and so Paul says we're not to imitate God as, as the one who is just far off and detached and distant from us, the one that we admire but we don't have any connection with. He says, no, rather, you imitate him as, as his beloved children, those who are intimate, closely, personally connected with him. You walk like him because you know him. Now, what I want you to see in that is that all of this implies, all of this implies a relationship with him. We need to stop there and spend some time there. All of this call to imitate God implies a relationship with him. And there's some of you that need to hear about that relationship for the very first time. There's some of you that need to enter into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You need to recognize that you are a sinner who has broken God's commands, who deserves nothing but judgment and wrath and hell from God. Because of your sin, you need to recognize that even though those things are true, he loves you. In fact, scripture says that God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's good news, isn't it? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And scripture is clear that if we repent of our sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be saved. Some of you need to enter into that relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ today. You cannot mimic or imitate God because you don't have a connection with him. Now, the rest of you who have entered into a relationship with him by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, you need to recognize that you can't mimic him if you don't spend time with him. You can't walk more and more like him every day if you're not meeting with him more and more every day. Does this make sense? In other words, my kids are not going to look like me and talk like me and walk like me if they never spend any time with me, right? And some of that might be my fault in a family relationship. But hear me clearly. If we don't look like and talk like and walk like our father, God, it is not because he's detached from us. It's because we're detached from him. He hasn't walked. He's not too busy for us, right? But how many times do we say we're too busy for him? We're too busy to spend time in the word. We're too busy to spend time in prayer. We're too busy to spend time in fellowship with other Christians. I want you to hear me clearly. Some of you need a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And some of you 
need to spend more time with him, more time with him so that you can know what you're supposed to mimic, what you're supposed to imitate. Paul says in verse 1, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And then he gets to some of the specifics in verse 2, and he says, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us and offering a, a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. This is fantastic. Every word in this verse is fantastic. He starts out by talking about walk. And we've been talking with that language here in Ephesians, right? Walk means a habit or a pattern or a trajectory. He doesn't say you take one step with him or you take one step in love. He says you walk in love. Make that the habit. Make that the hallmark of your life. And then he says this, walk in love. That word love there, there are lots of words in Greek for love. There's only one word in English for love, and that's a tragedy, right? Because I would say I love Laura, I love my kids, I love baseball, I love hot dogs. Same word, right? Those are all different ideas, aren't they? I don't love hot dogs the same way I love my wife. You know that, right? They're totally different ideas. In Greek, there are different words for all of that. And there's a very specific word used here for love that you're familiar with. It's the Greek word agape. Agape, which is self-sacrificing love. A love that gives of itself and puts itself oftentimes in harm's way for the good of another. It doesn't sacrifice itself because it's some kind of uh, weirdo who likes to suffer. It sacrifices itself on behalf of someone it loves. That's the kind of love that he's talking about here. And then he gives the, dem the demonstration of that love. This is dynamite. Look what it says. He says, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. That's the big command. Be imitators, walk in love. And then look what he says next. Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. Man, just savor that for a minute, right? You know, that is the gospel. That is a very concise statement of the gospel. Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. He says, you've got an example. You've got an example of what love looks like in Christ. But notice here, Paul will never talk about the sacrifice of Christ as merely the example as to how we should live. Now, hear me clearly. The Bible's full of that. Jesus is constantly saying, I'm going to lay down my life for you, therefore you lay down your life for others. No greater love has a man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Clearly there is an exemplary nature to the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf, right? We are called, because Christ laid himself down for us, we are called to lay ourselves down for each other. But what is more important than that is the atoning nature of Christ's sacrifice for us, right? If all he is, if all his death is, is the example for us to follow, we're hopeless. But what you need to know is he laid down his life for us. He stepped in as the substitute for us, sacrificed himself for us, right, so that we could have life. His death, his sacrifice is atoning sacrifice. It is propitiation. You should look that word up when you get home. It is propitiation on our behalf. His death satisfies the wrath of God against us, and by his death, by his life, we are saved, okay? So there is an exemplary part, exemplary part of Christ's sacrifice for us, but there is also the atoning nature of Christ's sacrifice for us, and Paul will never mention one without the other. So look what it says here, and just enjoy this. He says, Christ also loved you. It's amazing, isn't it? Amazing that he would love us. Do any of you think you're lovely? I don't. I don't think I'm lovely. I also don't think any of you are lovely. <laughs> because scripture says that we're not lovely. But yet he loves us. While we're still sinners, he loves us. God loves us. Christ 
loved us and gave himself up for us. He didn't deserve the cross. You know that, right? You know that when Jesus suffered under the hands of the Romans and at the hands of the Jews, he didn't deserve any of that. Over and over and over again in the gospel accounts of Christ's suffering, people are saying, he's an innocent man, he's an innocent man, he's an innocent man. And they're right, he's an innocent man. But he wasn't suffering for his sins, he was suffering for your sins. He was suffering for my sins. He gave himself up for us. And that's the best news ever. And we want to enjoy that and we want to savor that. And we want to follow that. We want to live that out. Look what it says. Walk in love. Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. Notice the last bit of this verse. It says, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. This is full, this is full of Old Testament, Old Testament sacrificial system language. Christ is the fulfillment of all of those old sacrifices. The blood of bulls and goats cannot forgive us from sins. The blood of the lamb is the one that was necessary. Jesus died once for all and then sat down at the right hand of God, right? He is the fulfillment of all of those things. Isaiah 53 teaches us that it pleased God to crush Christ on our behalf. It's the plan. The plan is that he would give himself up for us. A sacrifice. A sacrifice. An offering. A fragrant aroma to God. That whole picture of Christ dying on the cross. God smelling that. And being pleased with that. It's very much an Old Testament picture. As they offered up sacrifices to God, he would smell it. Sometimes he would say, it's disgusting to me. Because of your hearts, it's disgusting to me what you're doing. Other times he would say, that smells good. It smells good because of your hearts. This picture of Christ dying on the cross and that scent wafting up to the Father, he says, this is good. This blows my mind. This blows my mind because I'm a father. It just shows the seriousness of our sin and the greatness of his love for us. It pleased him to crush his son on our behalf. So verses 1 and 2 are big ideas, big ideas. And now Paul is going to move on to some specifics. He says in verses 1 and 2, be imitators of God, walk in love. You've got an example, you've got an atonement, walk in love. Then look what he says. This is how it looks to walk in love. He says, but immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Immorality, impurity, greed, these are general terms for all kinds of sin, all kinds of sin, sins that were the very definition of Ephesus. Ephesus was a place where there was all kinds of sin around every turn. It was like the Las Vegas of the ancient world. It was a bad place. So these sins marked the culture in which this church existed. And what I want you to see is that these sins mark the culture in which this church exists today, right? Greed, impurity, immorality. And notice what he says. He says, these things must not even be named among you. Church, these things must not even be named among you. Other translation says, let there not even be a hint, not even a hint of these things among you. It's a pretty big deal, right? Some people see a connection here with an Old Testament text that talks about God's people not even mentioning the names of pagan gods. Staying so far away, staying so far away from the pagan worship of these pagan gods that they were called not even to mention those gods' names. He says that's the way it should be with us when it comes to sin. All kinds of sin that our world and our culture says are absolutely normal. He says they're not even to be named among you. I read this text and find huge conviction. 
huge conviction. Because not only are these things named among us and hinted at among us, they run rampant among us. It should not be this way. It should not be this way. He says immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you. And then he throws this in as is proper among the saints. It's a big deal. It's a big deal what he says right there. This is the theme that he's been fleshing out for quite some time. Started back in chapter 4 verse 1 when he said walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. In other words the implication is there is a way to walk that is worthy of the calling. There's a way to walk that is fitting with the calling. There's a way to walk that is appropriate to the calling that we've been called with. And he's teaching us what that's supposed to look like. But the other side of that is there's a way to walk that is inappropriate. There is a way to walk that is unfitting. There is a way to walk that is inconsistent with the claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And he's fleshing out what that looks like. He says, don't even let these things be named among you because that's proper. That's proper for a saint. You want to know what it's supposed to look like to walk as a saint? These things aren't even named among you. We've got work to do, right? And we've got strength to do it because he doesn't leave us on our own to fight against these sins. He's with us, empowering us, helping us. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Verse 4, he gets even more specific, moving from these general words to very specific words that have to do with our speech. He says, and there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Moving to more specifics, and what he's talking about here is all kinds of joking. All kinds of dirty joking, I would say. And we need to be careful as we understand this verse. We need to be careful not to, not to say that this text is teaching us that we should forbid humor in the church. Right? It's okay to joke, isn't it? You with me on that? It's okay to smile. I know some people that think it's not as a, as a Christian. And you should not smile. You should not chuckle. There should be no joy and happiness in your heart. This just doesn't make any sense to me. I don't think they'd ever say it that way, but they live it that way. This is not a forbidding of all humor. This is not a command for us to be solemn and sad all the time, like these pictures out in the, in the ramp area of the old school church. Take a picture. Like the cameraman said, everybody frown, everybody be mean. It's okay to smile. It's okay to laugh. But this is a warning about laughing about the things the world laughs about. And walking into that borderline of, hmm, should we joke about this topic? Should we joke about these kind of things? You know what I'm talking about? These kind of borderline areas. Clearly there's a line that we, sh we should not cross. But I think more, than, more, than, more, more often than not, we struggle with this kind of in-between area of, hmm, everybody else is laughing about this, but I don't know if I should laugh about that. Been there this week? Innuendo, pun television we've got to be careful he says in this text there must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting and then he adds it again which are not fitting it doesn't fit it doesn't fit for you to praise God with your mouth in here it doesn't fit for you to sing his praises in here it doesn't fit for you to preach the gospel out there with your mouth and then tell a dirty joke or a racist joke or laugh about something that is a perversion of what God made to be good. It doesn't fit. And yet we do it all the time. 
And I wonder, I wonder what the lost world thinks about that. I wonder what the lost world thinks about that when we gather together for an hour on Sunday morning and with our mouths we sing his praises and with our ears we hear his word and then we walk right out of here and we talk like the world, we look like the world, we hear like the world. It's not fitting. It is not fitting what Paul says. And then he adds this. He said, there must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. That fits, doesn't it? That fits. That's in accordance with the calling with which we've been called. That seems worthy, giving thanks. I read a book one time. I actually, actually think that in the book, I think the book's name, the, the title of the book is not even a hint. It's talking about this text. And he says, here's a litmus test for you. When you dive into those borderline areas, when you kind of walk up to those things, maybe a great question to ask yourself of whether or not you should take another step forward is can I give thanks for this? Is this something that would cause me to give thanks for God? Can I give thanks for that joke? Can I give thanks for that television show? Can I give thanks for that relationship? Can I give thanks for that job? And if you can't, you shouldn't go there. And you shouldn't do that. It doesn't fit. But if you can give thanks, that may be a, a litmus test, a very practical litmus test of whether or not you should proceed. Paul says very clearly, these things, immorality, impurity, greed, must not even be named among you. Filthiness, silly talk, and coarse jesting don't fit. Give thanks, rather. And then he kicks it up a notch. And I know this is not a happy-go-lucky sermon today, but look what he says in verse 5. He says, for this you know with certainty. How do they know it with certainty? Because he's told them a thousand times. If you read Paul's writings, this is a consistent theme. He says this over and over and over again. If he says it this much in his writing, imagine how much he said it to the churches where he actually was ministering in person. He says, this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. It's a pretty bold statement. He makes it a lot. They've heard it before, and they need to hear it again. We've heard it before, and we need to hear it again. Notice, though, in the middle of all that, he equates this kind of sinful lifestyle with idolatry. He says at the root of it, you don't have a material problem. You don't have a, an action or attitude problem. He says at the root of all of this is a spiritual problem because you are lifting something, some pleasure, some relationship, some something above where God should be, and you are living for it instead of living for God, and that is idolatry. You notice what he does there? He doesn't say just correct your behavior. He says you've got a real heart problem. And it is because of the heart problem that you will not enter the kingdom of God. That is a bold, bold statement. You know. You know for certain that this is true. That no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now if that was all there was to this, it would be a really sad day, wouldn't it? It'd be, it's sad enough today already. We're uncomfortable enough already today, right? But if this was all there was to the Bible, it'd be a really sad day. Here's the good news. There's hope for the idolater. There's hope for the immoral person. There's hope for every man. And his name is Jesus Christ. Paul, in another place, gives this laundry list of folks who will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says to that church, such were some of you. But you were washed, 
but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're hearing this today and you say, whoa, woe is me, I don't have an inheritance in the kingdom of God, that may be true. But you can have an inheritance in the kingdom of God through repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Then he picks it up another notch in verse 6, and he says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. I want you to hear these words directly today. I want you to hear these words as if God, because I believe he is, is speaking this directly to us today. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, referring back to what he's just talked about, because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. One preacher said it this way. So, if anyone comes and tells you that as a Christian, you don't have to be concerned about keeping commandments or obeying the law of God, you are listening to someone who is speaking empty words, words that could deceive you. Paul says there are plenty of people going to walk around and say, hey, if you just know Jesus, you can live however you want. Paul in this text says, let no one deceive you that way. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Let no one deceive you. Church, let no one deceive you. I don't know how many preachers are actually saying that with their mouths, but I'm afraid there are a lot of preachers around the world who are saying that with their lives. Oh, just trust Jesus, and it doesn't matter how you live. Paul is teaching us pretty clearly that how we live is a demonstration of our trust in Jesus. And some of us are proving pretty clearly that we don't trust Jesus by the way we live. And if you don't trust Jesus, there is no inheritance for you in the kingdom of God. So trust Jesus, number one, right? Trust Jesus and live for him. And Paul's giving us instructions how to do that. Don't even let these things be named among you. Watch your mouth. No no filthy joking. It doesn't fit. And that's what he says. That's the summary of it in verse 7. The summary application is in verse 7 when he says, Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Some of your translations say, Therefore, do not associate with them. And that's an unfortunate translation. Because Paul is not calling us here to just totally walk away from the world. That'd be a dangerous thing, right? We could do that. We could do that. In light of our sinful culture, in light of the garbage and trash and smut is a word we'll use in just a minute, in light of the smut that goes on out there, we could all just run and hide, couldn't we? We could build a big wall around this block. We own almost all of it. We could build a big wall around this block and just say, hey, all the Christians come in, we're going to live inside this wall, and we're going to take care of each other, and we're going to watch out for each other, and we're going to provide for each other's needs, and we're going to build each other up, and we'll just let the rest of this town go to hell. Because that's the result. You know that, right? We'll just wall ourselves off, and who cares about them? That's not what Paul is calling us to do here. That's not what Jesus has ever called us to do. You know that, right? What he has called us to do is be in the world, but not of the world. Not to avoid all association with them, but the translation in New American Standard is better. Don't become partakers. Don't become partakers with them. Don't do those same things. You can be around some of those things, but you better be careful when you're around them. But do not become partakers with them. That's where we'll start next week. And then he'll flesh out more of what that looks like. So, a few applications today. Number one, this is big. God loves 
God loves with a self-sacrificing love for our good and for his glory. And this is the gospel, right? You heard that at the beginning. Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. I like the pronouns there. God loved you. God loved you. But he didn't just give himself up for you. He gave himself up for us. He loves you in specific, no doubt. And he died for you in specific, no doubt. But it wasn't just about you. He died for us, collectively, together, so that we would be one family. It's one of the, one of the themes of Ephesians. God loves with a self-sacrificing love for our good and his glory. And this is the gospel, that Jesus laid down his life for us, took the punishment that we deserve, rose again victorious over sin and death and hell, and gives us life and hope and peace and forgiveness of sin by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. And this love is also our example as to how to love. It's not just atonement. He's also example. How do we love each other? Same way Jesus loved us. We give ourselves for each other. We lay down our lives for each other. God loves self-sacrificing love for our good and his glory. Number two, follow God. Mimic him. Mimic him. Imitate him. Look like him. Walk like him. Talk like him. And you're not going to do this perfectly. But do it more and more all the time, right? But hear me clearly. To mimic him and imitate him, you have to have a relationship with him. And to mimic him and imitate him, you have to know him more and more all the time. Some of you need to enter into a relationship with him by believing in Jesus Christ. And some of you need to spend more time with him. He's your dad. He's your father. And he's spoken to you. Thousands of pages he's spoken to you. Spend some time with him in his word. Spend some time with him in prayer so that you'll know what you're supposed to look like. Follow God. Number three. Not even a hint, not even a hint of some things. It is not fitting. And hear me clearly, it does not matter what the world says or does. It does not matter what the world finds acceptable or normal. You're not like the world anymore. If you know Jesus Christ, you are changed. Remember that text? The old is gone. The new has come. You're not like them anymore. Don't live like them anymore, right? We have a different standard godly standard. Listen to this. The preacher says, this gives a needed spiritual health warning for Christians in the West and increasingly in every continent. The media daily bombard our lives with words and images which express all of the things Paul mentions in this text. We can easily be desensitized to the sinful by what has become normal in our society. The danger then is that we begin to think of the morally abnormal as normal. This is a danger that we face. This is a danger that America is diving headlong into and the church following right behind. That we would begin to consider what is morally abnormal as normal and of things that tend to cause moral carelessness as matters of indifference. Listen to this. Christ-like love banishes the salacious. Smut should be suffocated in the holy atmosphere of our fellowship. Ah, I like that a lot. Let's suffocate some smut. I like that picture, that the smut and the garbage is completely suffocated and snuffed out by our fellowship with one another, by the righteousness and purity and love that we have amongst ourselves. Let's, let's suffocate some smut. 
And the last application is, is the big warning. It's a big warning. This is heavy. This is heavy here, and I don't want you to misunderstand. I'm not trying to say that you work your way to God, that, that you somehow do these things, and then God approves and lets you into heaven. That's not the case at all. You know better than that. The only way we are saved is by a gift that God gives to us, that we receive by faith. But far too many of us claim, profess to have received that gift and had our hearts changed and our lives reflect none other. And this text is a strong warning against that. This text and several others in the New Testament are strong warnings against a lifestyle that does not match profession. And Paul says, make no bones about it. Do not be deceived. You know this to be certain. And let no one deceive you. Your life reflects your heart. Your life reflects your heart. For some of us that seems very scary. But there's hope, right? There's hope. And there's grace. And there's forgiveness. And there's repentance. And there's the Holy Spirit who helps in all of those things. None of us have arrived where we need to be. We all need to be pressing forward. So let's seek him together. Let's stand together and pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love, your self-sacrificing love for our good and for your glory. We thank you for the gospel that Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and was raised the third day. We thank you that he stepped in and took our place, won the victory that we could never win, and gives it to us by grace through faith. Pray for men and women and boys and girls in this room who don't have a relationship with you. They cannot mimic you because they do not know you. They cannot love like you love because they don't know your love. They read this text today and they see their lives marked by immorality, impurity, greed, coarse jesting, silly talk, filthiness, idolatry. God, I pray today that you will show them that no immoral person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And I pray that you not just show them that today, but that you show them also that you can change them, that you can give them a new heart, a new life, a new start. You can raise them from the dead. You make them new creatures by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. God, I pray that men and women and boys and girls will respond with repentance and faith today for your glory. God, I pray for your church, that not even a hint of these things would exist among us. That these things that are inappropriate, unfitting, would not even be mentioned among us. That we would live in you. That we would not become partakers with them. That our lives would demonstrate the difference you have made in us. More and more more every day. Guard us against self-righteousness, but guard us against laziness and indifference as well. Help us as we seek you and seek to live for you. In Christ's name we pray.